0: Good evening everyone. For the last um, few weeks or so we've been taking a, a uh, rest from the series that we've been doing during a term time and we've been just looking at a few Christian uh, basics I suppose you could call them. So we've looked at our own individual, a, a devotion to the Lord. We've looked at our uh, community life together as a, a church and this evening I would like us to move on from that as we consider the topic of service and I've called this service in a selfish world. The um, talks that we do here at Charlotte Chapel are really explanations uh, of God's word. And the particular scripture passage we're going to be looking at this evening, uh, if you're using one of the red church Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1081, it's John chapter 13, and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 17, the well-known story of Jesus washing the disciples. Feet. That's page uh, 1081 in the Red Church, pew uh, Bibles, or John chapter 13, if uh, you've brought your own copy, with you. And we'll uh, start reading it, verse 1. It says, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him he came to Simon Peter who said to him Lord are you going to wash my feet Jesus replied you do not realise now what I am doing but later on you will understand no said Peter you shall never wash my feet Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what i've done for you he asked them you call me teacher and lord and rightly so for that is what i am know that i your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet i have set you an example that you should do as i have done for you i tell you the truth no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Know that you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. And here we end our reading of God's Word. And this week saw the release of Geoffrey Archer from prison after serving two years of what I believe is a four-year suspended sentence for Perjury. There's a story that Geoffrey Archer once went into a, a, a bank and saw a leaflet on a stand with the heading Is your income more than £20,000? Is your income more than £20,000? And uh, apparently Geoffrey Archer's response was Some days it is, and some days it isn't. <laughs> and then he walked on. Geoffrey uh, Archer's a charitable acts have also come under scrutiny. At the height of uh, Geoffrey Archer's uh, charitable work, he was organising all kinds of events and fundraisers and was taking a cut of the money that was raised as a fee. That was deemed acceptable if he raised somewhere in the region of uh, £1,000. But if he raised £2 and took a a 10% cut, then some questions began to be asked. 200,000 for an evening's work for a charity is fairly good going, isn't it? You see, one of the things that uh, Geoffrey Archer is known for is always landing on his feet and making a recovery. There isn't anything that seems to stop him accumulating wealth and even prison for the last two years has probably only served to give him more space and time to write a few more novels and probably to get him some free... uh, uh, a publicity as well. You see in, in some ways a Geoffrey Archer is a modern day success story now there are enough people who hate him but there are many others who secretly admire the sheer audacity and confidence with which he moves. A survivor who takes unscrupulous revenge on his enemies an entrepreneur who is willing to bend the rules and cheats to get what he wants. Namely, the continued success and fame of himself most of the time. The, the way that Jesus models in our scripture passage tonight is the exact opposite of that. Rather than being selfish, he models giving And rather than being concerned about accumulating rank and status and prestige and publicity, he's willing to take on the role of a slave in order to serve others. As suppose as we initially glance at this uh, scripture passage, it seems as if Jesus demonstrates these qualities through the story of the washing of the disciples' feet. After all, it's this uh, story of washing the disciples' feet that seems to be right at the centre stage and in the middle of the action here. However, I think there are some indicators in the uh, text that should just ring a few little bells in our minds that uh, John wants us to consider that something else is going on here as well. And it's important that we uh, understand that and keep it in view. For a start, if if you look at uh, verse 1 there, we realise that this is the last night that Jesus spent on earth with with his disciples before he went to the cross. So we would expect him to be teaching and doing things that were very significant and very important. Actually, at the beginning of verse 1 there, John uh, explicitly tells us that it was just before the uh, Passover feast, the time of year when all the lambs would be slaughtered for the sins of Israel. Then towards the uh, end of verse 1, there's that curious phrase about no wanting to show the disciples, it says, the full extent of his love. And Now no, that could obviously mean the washing of the disciples' feet. But I suppose it could also mean something more than that, couldn't it? Maybe something that demonstrated his servanthood and his love in a greater and more spectacular way, perhaps. Maybe it includes two things. And then if you look down just briefly to verse 7, it says that the disciples weren't actually able to understand the significance of the washing of their feet at this time, at the time it was going on. They would only understand what Jesus was really doing later on, after his death and resurrection and they had received the Holy Spirit. So there's all these little minute pointers that this is actually a story that works on two levels. Now the main point here is definitely the self-sacrificial service of others. But that's worked out in two ways. First of all, it's worked out at the very obvious level of foot washing here. But then this is also in attended by John as an explanation of the greatest act of Jesus' self-sacrifice and service, which is him going to the cross. That same self-sacrificing service that led to the washing of the disciples' feet was also going to lead Jesus to the cross So here if you like we have a visual illustration a a picture of Jesus becoming a servant for us in the greatest act of all and obviously from this it's not hard for us to draw some very important lessons about service for ourselves what we learn is that we first need the Lord Jesus to serve us and then we will be equipped and empowered to serve others just as he washes our feet so we are to wash the feet of each other. And what I really w- want to do is just go through the um, story and uh, focus on the Lord Jesus and uh, look at it under three headings. So first of all, we've got the action of uh, Jesus. And you can see this in verses 1 to 5. In spite of the fact that Jesus had status and uh, uh, power and knowledge... We see him condescending to take the role of a servant by washing the disciples' feet. And the text here leaves us under no illusions about Jesus' greatness. So uh, in verse 3, it says uh, that Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power. He knew that the Father had made him judge and ruler. We find that earlier on in John's Gospel. Jesus here also has a clear sense of a destiny, a clear sense of mission about what he's doing with his life he knew that he had come from God and would one day return to God his ministry in the world was service and so he came to earth and willingly took on the humble role of a foot washing servant now the um, nearest practice that uh, I can think of to the ancient custom of foot washing is the practice that chimpanzees have of picking nits out of each other's fur for one thing it's Always dirty, but it's also necessary work in their culture. Just as the chimps pick up nits as they swing through the trees, so people in the ancient world would have got dirty, grimy feet as they walked through the streets. And then it also implies a social hierarchy. Just as an elderly chimp will never pick nits out of the fur of a junior chimp, so I'm told, so it would have been unthinkable for someone senior to have washed the feet of someone lower down the social scale. In actual fact, the foot-washing slaves were were the most menial and the lowest and the most abase of the whole lot. You just couldn't go lower. In fact, there were some people who thought it was such a menial job that only women and Gentiles and school pupils ought to do it. And Jews ought to be exempt altogether. Not unsurprisingly, it was a Jewish rabbi who said that and yet here, John goes into great detail about the fact that Jesus, much to the um, embarrassment of the disciples, uh, took on this very menial role of a foot-washing slave. So he uh, describes how Jesus removed his robe and would have tied a, a towel around his waist and poured water into a, a, a bowl in such graphic detail It's meant to underline and underscore just how low Jesus went in order to um, wash the disciples' feet. The teacher and rabbi, the one who ought to have had his feet washed by them, is the one who takes the role of a slave and goes round and washes everyone else. And then this is made even more astounding by the fact that a John goes out of his way to let us know that Jesus must have washed the feet of Judas, even although he knew that he was going to betray him. Jesus humbly washes the feet of the man who is going to knife him in the back. In less than twelve hours' time, and Jesus knew it, and yet he still washed the feet of his worst enemy. The teacher and rabbi takes on the most menial role he can, and washes the feet of the one who will betray him. It's a very powerful picture, and the shock and the scandal that he must have provoked amongst the disciples is almost tangible here in that narrative. There was probably a very kind of a embarrassed silence as Jesus would have gone round the the circle and washed each disciple's feet in turn. In terms of application here, I think we learned something quite important. We learned that love is something that must always translate itself into actions. If Jesus had just sat up, up in heaven and shouted down that he had loved us, then that would have meant very little. The crucial thing Is that love translates itself into servant like actions? See, some of us think that love is a noun. It's a thing that we either fall into or fall out of or something that just happens to us. Jesus teaches us here that love is a, a verb, it's a doing word, it's something we do. It's a doing word that is meaningless unless it is expressed in actions. Here, Jesus expresses his love by taking the role of a servant. It's an action. Even more incredibly, he expresses it by his willingness to go to the cross. You see, love is something that expresses itself in action and is meaningless without. And the New Testament itself, in other places, makes this very clear. This is uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Hey guys, there's a definition of love coming up. Jesus Christ... Laid down his life for us, action. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, action. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has not pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? No action, therefore no love. Dear children, let us not love with words or a tongue, because that alone wouldn't be love, but with actions and in truth. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. If we're going to serve, the first lesson we need to learn is that it requires action. Saying that we love someone, or talking about serving them, will not suffice. It needs to translate itself into action, even if that action is the smelliest, costliest, most socially unacceptable, menial, scandalous sort. So then, that's uh, the action of Jesus. Number two then, the cleansing of Jesus, and you can see this from uh, verse 6 to 11. In the um, exchange here that we have between Jesus and Simon Peter, Jesus is drawing a, a parallel between the way that he needs to wash the disciples' feet and the way that they need to be spiritually cleansed by him through his work on the cross. To start off with, you see, the disciples don't grasp the spiritual significance of what's going on and they're still shocked at the unorthodox way that Jesus has turned social convention on its head. As ever, uh, Peter's, they kind of uh logist one of them, and um, so he objects, Jesus, you've got to be kidding. I should be washing your feet, not the other way round. I'll never let you wash my feet. And then Jesus replies by saying that unless Peter lets him wash his feet, then he can never have a share with him. If someone wants to be linked to Jesus, if someone wants to be part of Jesus, to have a share with him, they first of all need to be washed by him. And at this, Peter responds over, over, over the top. And enthusiastically, he grasps that it's now essential to be washed by Jesus. He wants to be linked with Jesus until he asks Jesus to give him a complete A bath from head to toe. If he needs to be washed, then Peter just doesn't want his feet done. He wants the whole lot. He wants it all. And again, Jesus uses what Peter says to make an important point. Whereas the first point he wanted to make was that in order to be part of Jesus, you have to be washed by him. Now he makes the point that if Jesus has already washed you, then you don't need to have a bath all over again, but you only need to have your feet washed. I guess um, if you were to uh, turn up to someone's house for a meal one evening, it might be entirely appropriate for you to ask to go to the uh, bathroom in order to freshen up a bit. But it would be really odd for you to ask for a shower, wouldn't it? That's the sort of point that Jesus is making here. If he has already given someone a, a, a bath, then they only need to have their feet washed. They only need to freshen up. They don't need to have a bath or a shower all over again. They're pretty much clean, but they they maybe need to freshen up and have their feet washed. That's the kind of flavour of what Jesus is um, teaching us here. So then, I guess we need to move on from this and try and spell out a little bit more clearly what Jesus is saying to us here um, about our lives. The first thing that he's saying is that in order to become a Christian, we need to be washed by Jesus. It's only if we allow ourselves to be cleansed by him that we can have any part in his kingdom and the life that he offers. That's why Jesus tells Peter unequivocally, I think it's there in um, verse 8, that um, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Absolutely black and white. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. However, secondly, this also means that once someone has been cleansed once, they don't need to have a bath again and again and again. When they sin, they don't need to become a Christian all over again as as if they were starting out from scratch. Instead, all they need to do is return regularly to have their feet washed, coming to the Lord in confession and repentance, saying sorry and asking him for his forgiveness. One uh, fairly simple illustration of this is that I am my father's son. That relationship is clearly in place and is never going to be taken away. No matter what happens, I'm always going to be my father's son. However, if I do something wrong, to either hurt or offend my dad, then I need to say sorry for that in order for the relationship to be maintained, for the channels to be kept clear, and for that friendship and relationship to grow. But the actual relationship itself is not in any doubt. I don't need to go back and have a a bath again. I just need to have my feet washed. I'm always my father's son. Again, can you see what I'm, I'm saying? It's the same here. Once we've trusted in Christ's death on the cross and have been cleansed from our sins, the relationship is in place. It's secure. When we sin after that, we don't need to become a Christian all over again. Instead, what we need instead is regular repentance and confession to maintain that relationship and keep it clear so that it grows and is nurtured and is developed. So then, again, there are really two questions of application here for us. Number one, have you had a bath? Have you had a bath? I don't mean physically, although it might be worth taking the straw of all of that one, but I mean spiritually. Jesus says that unless he cleanses us, then we have no part with him. Unless we allow him to give us a good hosing down, then we remain strangers and aliens to him and remain in the dirt and sin and grime of our own lives. Moreover, this dirt and sin is not just a matter of something external that we can kind of work hard at and clean up our act and that we can remove. Jesus says that what makes us unclean comes from deep down inside that we ourselves can't do anything about. Evil thoughts, he he says in Mark chapter 7, and greed and malice and envy and arrogance lurk deep down like stains that can't be removed. That's why we need a deep spiritual cleansing from Jesus to make us whiter than white. We can't shift that kind of stuff ourselves. It won't come out and so we need Jesus to cleanse us with his blood. It's worth noting too here that each disciple was individually washed. You see, there's a a choice to be made. We have to choose. Have you had a bath? Have you allowed Jesus to cleanse you? Have you allowed the power of the cross to soak in and reach deep down and cleanse you from all those stains that mar you? Have you done that? Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So first of all, have you had a bath. No, number two, do you need a wash? Again, I'm not talking physically, although uh, that would be uh, an interesting one for either you or the person uh, next to you to maybe answer. You see, the streets of Edinburgh are pretty dirty places, especially at this time of year. As we walk ar- ar- around, it's very easy to get dirty and grimy and unclean, and so we can be in serious need of having our feet washed regularly by the Lord. So we become impure by lingering too long, looking at a a tourist in a short skirt. We get all grimy by contributing some unkind words to the office chat or in the staff room. We begin to feel dirty after constant exposure to swearing, or ten minutes of unguarded um, late night television. You see, all the time we are basically clean, but we still get mucky. And so we need to come to Jesus for a good scrubbing from time to time. We need to apply the cross regularly to our lives, to maintain our relationship with the Lord and continually appropriate His forgiveness to our own individual, personal circumstances and situation. So are you in need of a wash? Have these streets, these office blocks, these schools and universities made your feet dirty in this last week? If so, come to Jesus for a wash, that's what He's offering. If they have made you dirty, you don't need to become a Christian all over again. Absolutely not. But you do need to come to the Lord for cleansing. Jesus says that a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. Now the reason all this is so important is that being cleansed by Jesus is an important prerequisite, actually an essential prerequisite to service. See, we cannot serve him until he has first served us. We cannot serve Jesus until he's first washed us and made us clean. We don't have to be perfect in order to serve God. But we do have to be clean. We do have to be washed. We can't serve him until we've let him, first of all, serve us. We can't wash others' feet until we have, first of all, let him wash ours. So then that's the cleansing of Jesus. And then uh, number three, the example of Jesus. And you can see this in the final few verses from uh, verses 12 to 17. Jesus says that when he washed the disciples' feet, he was setting them an example of how they were to treat each other. So uh, the key verse is verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. The argument that Jesus uses here when he's talking to his disciples is an argument from the greater to the lesser. And I'll explain what I, I mean by that. That is to say that he has done the greater thing, he has done the large thing, and therefore it's relatively easy for his disciples to follow him and do the lesser. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. And let's just uh, look more closely to see in more detail how Jesus does it. Um, in verse 14, his argument is basically that if he is teacher and lord, if he is so great and he has washed the disciples' feet, and they are lesser, then as his followers have no excuse for not washing each other's feet. If he can humble himself the comparatively long way from being their teacher to being their slave, then surely they can lower themselves the comparatively small way to serve one another. And that's also the thrust of verse 16, where it says, no servant is greater than his master. If the uh, master stoops to wash their feet, then they they aren't greater than him, so they must stoop to wash each other's feet as well, given the enormity of the love that he has showed them. How can they respond with their petty squabbles and jealousies and bickering? See, no servant is greater than his master. Instead, we are to humble ourselves and serve each other like Jesus did. And the main point here is the utter absurdity for any follower of Christ to not serve his brother or sister. If Jesus has humbled himself to this huge extent, then surely we can humble ourselves that relatively small way and serve each other, can't we? If Jesus has done this for us, what right do we have to uh, turn around and not do the same kind of thing for someone else? Jesus has served us, therefore we in turn are to serve others. He has washed our feet, therefore we wash the feet of other people. I think for many of us we um, find this quite hard to apply um, in our lives. It's, um, one of those things that we always kind of uh, say, yes, you know, we, we agree uh, to that, we're, we're all in kind of favour of kind of uh, serving others, but we struggle to, um, to apply it. Um, I think one reason for that is what I call the Amen Factor, where everyone agrees with what you're saying, goes, Amen, brother, and then walks out the door without any intention at all of doing anything... Ad- differently but they're really glad to have heard what they've heard. Then on top of that, I think some of us secretly think that Jesus is not actually being very realistic here and he's not actually living in the real cutthroat corporate world that we do. We uh, agree with Jesus that in an ideal world we ought to serve one another but the realities of life in our office or our family circle are just so uh, tough that if we tried this we'd get trampled on. We think it's unrealistic to serve in the kind of circumstances that we're in. I think our human pride is something else that gets in the way as well. Let's face it, the sign of success or status in our culture is having people serve you. Whether it's a a PA and a team of as secretaries, or even down to basically mundane things, like getting good service in a garage or restaurant. Those things are related to our sense of status and prestige and and who we are, and we don't like giving that kind of thing up. And therefore we're slow to take the role of a servant in case it damages our carefully nurtured street cred, which is so important to us. And so I really think that we have to do some pretty radical thinking to even get on the same wavelength as a Jesus here especially if we have a tendency to say Amen brother without really stopping to think about our attitudes and how we live however I think the key to applying all this is actually in a place that you might not think and it's right at the end there in verse 17 Jesus says know that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them let's not miss what Jesus is saying here. He is saying that if we take the role of a servant, we will be happy. That's basically a fairly good colloquial translation of the word blessed. That's not to say it won't be unpleasant and it won't be hard, but it is saying that ultimately, if we watch, wash each other's feet, then we will be more joyful and more happy and more whole than if we didn't. You see, that is a radical way of thinking in our society. Our society says, have others serve you and you will be happy. Jesus says, if you serve others and wash their feet, then you will be happy. The two are exact opposites. And yet how easily we get sucked into one rather than the other. Our society says, have others serve you and you will be happy. Jesus says, if you serve others and wash their feet, you will be blessed. You will be happy. So the struggle for us To choose the right one, to actually choose to serve others, becomes a whole lot easier once we realize that our own joy and our own ultimate happiness is at stake here. If I know that serving others is going to make me ultimately more happy, crying, I'm going to serve others every single time. If I buy into the lies of the world that if I have others serving me, then I will be, be happy, then I'm going to go the opposite way and I'm not going to obey Jesus here, am I? You see, the challenge from Jesus to us is to follow his example and serve others and therefore maximise our own joy and our own happiness and our own wholeness that God has called us to. Ultimately, He will be more happy if you serve others. Jesus uh, says that. So then, how does this apply to us today? I think first of all, very obvious, it means an attitude of humility where we will lower ourselves to serve one another. It means that we will no longer go through life asking, what can this person do for me? But rather, how can I serve you? That might be a good question to ask people from time to time. How can I serve you? Just let me know if I can do anything to help. It's worth saying too that it takes humility to accept that kind of service. And some of us aren't very good at that either. We're from Morningside and we don't like accepting a charity from other people, or uh, having our dirty linen washed in uh, public, do we? What would people think if others were to serve us? Some of us have a problem with that. It means that we will think to ask someone if we can help them moving house perhaps, or if they need any groceries getting while they're ill, or whether they need someone to proofread their thesis or some schoolwork or help with it and so on. One other thing that we can do is to serve each other in prayer. None of you, I'm sure, realise this, but there are uh, two guys in this church who uh, meet to pray for me every week. And most uh, Mondays, one of them either emails or telephones and asks what things they can be praying for, for me, that week. That is sacrificial service. Th- this, of course, means that we will even serve people who we don't like and who might even exploit us or might even, worse still, end up being promoted in the company ahead of us. I heard of that happening to someone in this church just recently. But we will still do it because Jesus has promised us that you will ultimately lead to joy. Then there are all kinds of social programs that run both inside and outside churches as well that provide all kinds of uh, opportunities to, to serve no matter what kind of uh, skills or interests you have. One church I came across on the internet this week had folk giving up a few hours each week to help immigrant Russian women Im- improve their English skills. One other had a uh, mentoring programme for kids in an inner city school and so on. Again, you see, it all comes back to asking, what can we do to serve, rather than, for lo- rather than looking for others to serve us and our needs. Of course, as we all serve each other, our needs will all be met. But they will be met through us seeking to give, rather than us seeking to take One of my favourite definitions of service comes from a very old, I think 17th century, Puritan author who said that love is taking honey to a bee with no wings. Love is taking honey to a bee with no wings. I like that. Service is saying what needs to be done and then doing something practical to meet that need. The final thing I want to say is that serving churches are growing churches. See, very few people will judge the gospel initially by whether it is true or not. Instead, they're far more likely to consider it if they see that it works. As they see a group of people who undertake radical acts of service for one another, they will see that there's something going on here that needs to be thought about. And that's what Uh, John says later on in uh, John 13 if you just want to turn over the page John 13 and uh, verses 34 and 35 Jesus says a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another so uh, two questions as we closed. firstly have you had a personal experience of Jesus' love has he washed your feet? Have you let him do that? Have you experienced his forgiveness? Have you swallowed your pride and let him deal with your dirt? That's the necessary condition for service. And then, secondly, do you love other people? Are you washing their feet? Are you living out his example by undertaking radical acts of service to others? That's the necessary response to what the Lord has done for us. It's also his means of evangelising the world through us. Let's pray together.